And we are recording. Hey guys, welcome to uh, I believe episode sixteen of yeah sixteen of the IMO podcast. That's why seventeen. Seventeen. Oh shit, he knows more than me. I'm ahead of you. <laughs> episode seventeen of the IMO podcast. Uh, with me today is another guest, uh, my good friend Alfie. Um, Alfie is one of the most unique individuals that I've ever met in my life. <laughs> one of the most. This guy is just an exuberance of just love <laughs> i think that's the only that's the best word to describe him he's like i think if we just this is what he used to just tell me i think if we just all love each other the world would be a better place and this is the mind of a 17 year old <laughs> so i think i think that's, that's but it could be real but i want it to be real because i love this guy <laughs> anyways hi alfie how you been man you, it, it, before this podcast we were talking about um the mixation between uh, mixation. Look at me with posh words. The the mix between uh, uh, energy and and marijuana. What kind of why why do people do that? I feel like that neutralizes everything. I don't usually, but I made the coffee, and then I remembered there was a bud in the other room, so I was like, I'm just gonna smoke that, and, and now I'm mixing. Now you're mixing. Now it. I'm mixing. Have you- and I, I'm thinking to myself, this is a silly idea. <laughs> this is dumb. But you get, you're going to be stupid, but highly functional. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm going to be calm as hell, but like doing everything at the same time. Yeah, oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Now we met, I think when we met, it was either through Lily, who uh, I met before you because she was a politics teacher. For those who don't know, you have twin sister named Lily. Um, mm-hmm. she, uh, how is she as well? I absolutely love the day. She is so she went to uni. Um, yeah, she went to uni at the end of college, and she uh, quit. Is it because she? Yeah, she quit because she hated the uh, people in her dorm. She hated it. Oh, okay. <laughs> and there was there was one not was the one course the people. <laughs> The people. So most people have switched. Most people hate the course and what? love the life. <laughs> she couldn't handle it. The life was. <laughs> she couldn't handle shit when it came to you. Oh. She was like, she, she was like crying every day. Then I was like, "We're gonna get you out of here." So we zoomed her back out of uni. Are those sirens from you or from me? Do you hear those sirens? All right, we'll just ignore it. Must have not picked up them. Yeah, yeah cool. Uh, uh, what's it called? So what? She didn't like. The, did she like the course? Um. Well, before she went, she said that she hated politics, and then she went and did politics. I can't. I think she hated everything about uni, and then she came back and got herself a job um, as a digital marketer for a company in Hammersmith. Oh, that's that's official. But once you hear yeah. that's that's pretty good. So but she's travelling up there all the time and she hates that as well. So basically bad. She's bad. <laughs> basically her life's uh, her a life. mess. Uh, uh, well, I mean she's got herself a girlfriend. Oh finally. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I might not even know her, so it's no point of even asking. How 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 no, long have you been at college with, with her? Um, only only four months now, five months uh, maybe. No, oh, that's cool. At least they survived the quarantine period. 
Good thing, good yeah. thing the honeymoon phase came during the quarantine period, not gonna lie. Oh, yeah, they're still very deep in the honeymoon phase, they're very close. Mm, yeah, they're very close. Anyways, forget about your sister. What about you, man? I, I met you oh, at I... the I met you at Minister Court, which is in the Havering Sixth Form, and uh, you, you are an art student, and just, uh, I don't know, I'm just fascinated by, by artists for some whatever reason, because I just like the sparks that come into their brain. Sometimes it's methodical, like a, a lot of people, I think that their approach to their art is very methodical, and it's like a little, uh, like a crafting sort of thing, where it's like step by step, and I'm going to go this and do this. But you were the type of guy that just comes in, oh, I got an idea, it sparks up, and you just commit to it. Like, oh, I, I, I'm just on this bus ride and I, and I got to commit to it. Like, I can't, you're not the type of person to be like, I'm going to build this up and suddenly it's the Eiffel Tower. You're like, oh, fuck, this is the Eiffel Tower. That sort of thing, which was always fascinated me about you. You always sort of uh, transfixed by a sense of wonder within everything. And I, I absolutely love that about you. Is it, has that been something throughout the, your youth or is it something that you just developed as a sort of habit or practice? Um... I think, I think slowly it built up and it was more in my later years. So just before I got to uni, I started to sort of maybe um, grow a sense of like uh, my own opinion of the world and, yeah. and try, you go. Oh, <laughs> yeah, sorry. It's just the audio thing. It's just sometimes it's, there's a delay. It, was it? So what, what, what triggered it? What triggered your opinions of the world? And what are your opinions of the world apart from all we need is love, you know? I think, I think in its current state, um, I think people are too focused on the higher, the higher powers of the world, so the presidents and the prime ministers, and everything that's going on there and politics and things like that, which I think you should be informed on because um, at least enough to understand what's going on in the world. But I think we also need to ground ourselves and surround ourselves with what's going on in the moment and even in conversation now, like downstairs in our, in our um, massive uni mansion, we have a sign on the wall saying no politics, no religion, good vibes. And because because we're, in a, we're in an arts uni and people come in here and they spout their mouths constantly about that. And I, I'm happy to hear about that, but I also want to hear about a human being and yeah. how they feel and what they enjoy, what sparks them, what makes them electric, how they tick, instead of what's going on with what their opinion is and what's going on with someone up in the ranks of politics. Yeah, I feel like, and then also in the sort of field of art, it's very much rooted in politics sometimes. And to to be in an era where the politics is literally like I don't know, I think the the sort of initiation of it when politics sort of merged into pop culture was probably when the whole James Franco thing with the interview bullshit about the Kim Jong Un. If you remember that sort of James, I think that was the moment where everything clicked with the social media similar to it, it was similar to how the death of robin williams sort of highlighted the uh, sort of massive effects of mental illness as well that sort mm. of initiation when you think about it. and then slowly it's sort of built up and suddenly now it's literally the main thing like there's no you go to 
even talk show hosts like Jimmy Fallon, who was, as we grew up, was very apolitical about things. And then suddenly he has to reference Trump within, within his politics because that became the main thing. Uh, and I feel like the right route of, of, of sort of uh, when it comes to, you know, you, you study art. So, uh, I mean, what else do you study? Is that what you see? I'm pretty sure that's what you study right now. So I'm, I'm still, I'm, I've refined it. I've refined my study down to illustration instead of being so outward about it. I've, I've realized that I need to, needed to, um, on one thing, one, one art style. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Oh, that's uh, something. Yeah, but um, what's it called? So I, I had some thought about. I'll get into that later. So yeah, it's it's just interesting t- to see how now uh, talking about politics is the sort of pishy carcass sort of thing. Like we went from the Cold War era of Vietnam, where like we're, we're the hip, you're the hippies of the generation, and you're like, ah, fuck this shit. <laughs> like, yeah, think about it. It's like fuck, fuck this whole politics bullshit who cares just live a life whereas in the hippie area it was so anti-war anti-cold war bullshit which i mm. believe we would still have that sort of notion in reality if there was anything of that magnitude happening yeah i mean the closest thing to it is although i don't know with so i don't know if it's similar magnitude but it has its own way in magnitude as the sort of black lives matter movement but even that is just weighs on you as a, as a, as a, as a, as a youngling. I hate using that word, but as a young person. So yeah. how do, how do you go through this sort of illustration thing? So uh, I feel like that's the perfect route when coming into like a, a sort of apolitical stance on things. How, how do you express that with your illustrations? What, what, what sort of things or what sort of process do you go through at the moment? Well, my, my base is always to, um, to as i was talking about earlier take the general state of a human so i tried to draw i don't know i might have a, oh i could bring a guest uh, on yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, so i have i'm going to take the photo of this because it's of my grandparents but i have this guy oh yeah that's a, oh that oh, that makes sense that makes sense to what you said the inner core so of I yourself have, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have this guy who is my usual go-to character to um, then put different ideas and different um, political stances onto him. So he is the base human. He's and then the you can human. use him as a canvas. Yeah, and then you can put Atlas or Pinocchio noses as long as that sort of framework is... He's the Steve from Minecraft. He is, and then you can give him ideas and thought and um, make him into someone who is almost like a voice, which is what I've been that, doing, which is what I was doing through college. Yeah, I feel like that was what you were going through, I think, with a lot of your projects. You know, there was this project, uh, you could further elaborate on it, but I think it's very similar. The house thing, where it's like, uh, hey, we're stuck in this together, nobody's sort of focusing on us let's just say how how we think about things without any sort of repercussion and we're stuck in this sort of cardboard house that you built in the center of the art studio at the college was that the sort of thought process of it or is that my uh, interpretation of it or are you one of those people who just when he does the art fully doesn't want to explain it i think a bob Dylan approach to this sort of thing uh i used to go that I, I i during college i was definitely like that i was very much like um you just you just kind of give something a, um, you don't really give something a meaning. Because as soon as you do that, it, ta- it takes the artwork away from being 
exciting to other people as soon as you label something. But recently I've found that artwork needs to say something. If it's not saying something, it's pointless. Um, so giving it a voice and a meaning is really what makes it into a, a more of a communication than artwork. Sort of it. It's like... Uh, the cardboard house was um was a mind it was meant to be like a hive mind where everyone could go in and write their own things in it and write their own thoughts in it and then it's almost almost becomes like a brain and you can step inside of it and see every, see everyone else's thoughts it was where i was going for bed without a visualization of that it's really hard i suppose for the listeners to understand yeah well you can describe it basically there was was there a light inside there i don't think there was it was just Mm. In the corner, there was a big, it was like a big LED, almost like a a, a fog light in the corner. I was was too scared to go into it because so many people got in, it nearly got damaged, so I was protecting it. Yeah, Yeah, it was very close to falling down, I think, when I left. Like, I went in and saw it when it was empty, uh, no, nothing in it, and uh, I'm pretty sure there was a lot of stuff around in there, so for processes sort of ideas yeah. and beliefs which sort of which sort of goes into what how i interpreted it which maybe the idea of not explaining your artistic reason sort of helps people you know just someone like me just sort of just to see the meaning behind it which is this sort of uh, sort of uh, section of just be yourself don't sort of let the outside world interfere you and especially as a during the our age where literally one opinion could just rocket you through the a sort of barrage of friendships and uh, that are ending or exactly. sort of new friendships or aligning with some form of you know group that you don't particularly relate to you know that yeah. sort of thing <laughs> so that was that was a beautiful beautiful thing and the illustration thing is also it's also something like that it's also just perfect example of that in the sort of framework that's that's very beautiful that you show that to us i really appreciate that so what what there obviously is there a reason behind this thought process as you grew up is there something that makes it because you know i do stand up and i always think what caused me to be this sort of be this sort of weird character but i never quite got a grip of it have you got a grip as to the reason why you have this sort of belief as a as a young person like you were 16 17 feeling like that in a strange way um i think it's i think like as i've grown up I think I've delved a lot into my head. People used to tell me all the time that you're Alfie, you're staring out the window, or Alfie, you're uh, not concentrating. And I always did, I never saw that as um, as something to shy away from. People think that if you're in your own head, you're you're not concentrating or you're not paying attention to the world. But if, in in fact, you're you're um, you're thinking enough to uh not have to be constantly in the world i think i over time just was in my head enough to have an understanding of people around me because if you're not in your own head at some point in your childhood i think you you lose that sort of attachment to yourself and others and also i I grew up in essex (laughs) and people are angry people are so angry and <laughs> I mean, you have to, you have yeah. to, in some way, retain 
kindness and goodness and all them things. And, uh, wait, carry on. Well, kindness and goodness within a sort of sort of mask of thick skin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was... I guess it's. I guess doing them sort of things. I guess making art, and I guess making art the way that I do, or trying to express something, is my way of fighting back against Essex. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, I guess, I can put it that way. <laughs> it's your way to fight. So, for those who don't know, we got we got some American listeners. Essex is like um, the most. How would you describe it in an American sense? It's, like I wouldn't describe it as the Texas sort of place for, for for. Would you describe it as that? Maybe a bit southern. A bit, it's like the south. That, that... That that feels kind of bad to say if we have American <laughs> listeners, and they could be from the south. And to the ones from the south, I believe you're incredible people. However, however, Essex <laughs> is like wild Texas. <laughs> Literally, you like, kill what you get killed. <laughs> you kill. Like, oh, here's here's the closest thing to it in terms of these sort of. Uh, sort of conversations that you have with your mates because we both went to a school in Essex. I went to Marshalls, you went to Albany, I believe. I was in Albany for a month and then moved to Marshalls because it was closer. Um, you were, but um, here's the, the best way to describe it for America is like Boston where it's like the, the just the ball breaking, <laughs> just the amount of ball breaking that you have to deal with as a, yeah. as a, a secondary school student in Essex is exponentially high. So you just, you have to yeah. sort of master that with a facade of thick skin and you either have wit or you don't, or you either use, you sort of suck it in, you take it back. You sort of, you have to have that conversation, that instant wit, or you just ignore it for some reason. And you're, you have you're to be very of, witty, very yeah, witty in ethics. And... <laughs> otherwise you ain't got no friends. <laughs> no, otherwise, otherwise. You have to be tough and you have to be one of the assets. Yeah, what do you say? What do you say, mate? What are you saying, bro? What are you saying, bro? What are you saying, bro? Fucking hell, I'll fucking shank you. I know that I've grown thick skin. I know that, that over the last year, over the last year and a bit, I don't take anything from anyone anymore. I've become a slightly Essex. And... Wait, like you don't take anything as in you sort of manage to outwit them or are you like okay you say that it doesn't affect me sort of thick skin or how do how... I guess I've become slightly more not not I've, I'm slightly more aggressive when it's necessary I'm oh, sure a lovely but I've, but I've I've gained a bit of backbone yeah and I've, to, to, to yeah, like, oh, yeah you're not fucking with me this time it's like <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. Like, I'm also still the happens. kind loving person I was yeah but you can be an arsehole is that what you're saying <laughs> I can, I can definitely try. <laughs> I can definitely uh, try. Yeah, you have to be like that, especially being raised in like fucking Romford. Like in my yeah, place. that yeah. makes hell. And and I was, I'm a fucking Arab. You can imagine all the fucking jokes that I had to deal with. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You probably had it worse off than me. Definitely had it worse yeah. off than me. I'm privileged as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was weird because um. Like uh, during because of me, I, I, I developed thick skin early on before because I came in in year nine and before that I was living in Lebanon for like ten years of my life. I was born here, stayed here for five years, then they, my parents moved me back to Lebanon because they wanted me to sort of learn my, my sort of culture and all that. It's, for them, like learning how to read the Quran was something very important. Just learning the sort of history because there's no point in being a sort of a different color paint without understanding the history of the paint. You get what I mean? Of 
So, yeah, 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 100%. So uh, because of that, uh, I, I had an issue with, I didn't drink enough water. And because of that, my mouth was very dry a lot. So anything that I ate would suddenly become like, like my mouth was a chameleon when it comes to anything. I would suddenly become the smell of my breath easily. So, yeah, yeah. so anything I eat would literally just kick out all my friends, and then I was just bad breath user for, for at least seven years of my life. Oh, uh, no, but my mom, my mom gave me one of the best quotes ever, which is you know, which is uh, anytime someone just gives you a sort of messes you, a sort of bullies you, you just ignore it, and they'll just be like, eh. <laughs> yeah, I got that. I got that advice a lot. I used to, yeah, yeah. It definitely like that does work and and it's giving it's not giving someone a satisfaction mm. it's not giving but, but seriously dude i can smell it from here like <laughs> <laughs> can't you see I'm, listen it, it's become such a habit i've literally lifted this cup of water at least 10 times <laughs> it was hot now a maniac. Like, we've only been <laughs> and we've only been 20 minutes in oh remember remember my caffeine pill like i used to take a lot of, remember those I used to take some of your caffeine pills. Oh, they were great. They, they, they were like... They were a high. <laughs> they, were, <laughs> they were a kick. <laughs> they were like, oh, fuck. They were like, well, I felt like a fucking young Freud, man. <laughs> fucking with that caffeine. You know, you know, you come you know, in like half asleep and then you take a caffeine pill. And you oh, that, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> I remember one time you and uh, you and uh, uh, are you still with uh, what, what's her name Rebecca or is it her Rebecca? Girl? No, no, we split. Uh, all right, uh, well, uh, we'll talk about that later. It's, well, it's I, fine, you can. I'm not, but yeah, yeah. Uh, um, uh, remember when we had a good uh, year and eight months. So. <laughs> yeah, you said most people last two months. <laughs> it ran. It ran. It ran its course. Yeah. Um, but uh what's it called yeah i remember when i was on that tablet i was right next to you guys and i was literally explaining the whole movie from beginning to end and i was like I whoa that. i'm i'm superhuman and i was like and then i look at my bag and i'm like nah it's all the fucking drugs <laughs> it's just all the speed you're taking <laughs> It's all that fucking speed, man. Like, I was like, holy <laughs> shit. The way I explained the story was, like, proper suspenseful with, like, points, ups and downs. And it wasn't like, and then happened. It was like, then this happened, then this happened, then that happened. And holy I shit. I felt like I was nice. watching the movie. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm fucking like great. Just, I'm, <laughs> I'm fucking great. And then I, I, I just got cinema. And then I look at my bag and I'm like, oh, no, this, is, this explains it. I think it mm. was because... Um, uh, I've always had a sort of, uh, I'm, I'm very insecure about my own intelligence. And I thought maybe caffeine would help me keep me alert, you know, and then it definitely did. But it also get me into so many anxiety moments and just so many, so much sort of panicky. And it sort of developed a residual paranoia that I have an over analysis of situations. So I quit it. I've been like off coffee for like a year and a half now. I've been drinking tea every now and then. But coffee, been... yeah, it feels like oh my god, yeah, some cocaine addict is listening to this. Oh, like, yeah, big deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, big whoop. Yeah, you're off caffeine. I pick my nose up and eat the boogers because I miss cocaine that much. You're a fucking caffeine <laughs> addict. <laughs> the crumb. Okay. Uh, I can get. 
I, I'm, I, it's happy to say that I've been on a whole year cleanse and I'm so happy about myself. Oh, what was, what, what, what were you addicted to, Carl? Oh, caffeine. <laughs> a caffeine cleanse. A caffeine cleanse. Like, uh, oh, mate, you don't understand. It was so bad. I used to get jitters and I used to piss every like 10 seconds. Is it? Uh, well, uh, and then Je- Jeffrey, Jeffrey on the side, Jeffrey, what was your drug of uh, problem? Well, it was meth. <laughs> <laughs> and how bad was that? Well, uh, I mean, it, it ruined me. My whole family went away. I had to, bailiffs came in. I, I lost second. my job, my wife. <laughs> my wife, my everything. I was on the street. Look at my teeth. Look at my. Ah. <laughs> yeah, the caffeine man, the rush. <laughs> and then I'm like, I'm like yeah, yeah, but I, can that... t- I, I can totally relate to, you, to the addiction. And then I'm like, deep down, I can't relate to anything else. Yeah, but that gold roast, that gold yeah. roast, that <laughs> shit, that golden roast, that cappuccino froth on the top. Oh my god, the way it, the way it slithers around my mustache, it was everything. <laughs> You got you got a little something there, do you know what? <laughs> you got a little something there, mate. And then, and then on the left, and then on the left, the cocaine addict is like. <laughs> talking of talking of coffee and cocaine, they're both in the same. The family. other the other day, one of my roommates snorted coffee. Oh, two lines what, like, as well. Powdered powdered coffee, like like powdered I said, like like like, no, like fine Italian coffee. No, like no, like fine. It's not like the granules, like the fine oh, Italian espresso shot, basically espresso shot. Yeah, um, straight up the nose. And... Mate, that that man is that man is is after my own heart. You know, I, I would inject it into my testicles if I had to when I was addicted to that shit. Enema. <laughs> like, it's, it's just purely for its yeah, fucking ca- caffeine enema. It's like I got a multitask somehow. Ugh. <laughs> You're gonna cut a hole in the bottom of your chair, Jesus! It's like, conversations. It's like, <laughs> how do you think I'm coping so much? <laughs> <laughs> Getting probed. <laughs> Getting probed in the arse through a, a legitimate source of caffeine. Fucking uh, Stephen, <laughs> Stephen Hawking style before his death. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh, fucking right. hell. But um. I, I quit it because I discovered this form of meditation called transcendental meditation. Now this shit is legit. It feels like I'm getting sponsoring a cult, but I highly recommend that you do have to pay for it, but it's like one time payment and that's it. And there's a discount for students. So do take advantage of it. Uh, I believe it was 72 times three. So that's a hundred and uh, 200 and something. So I, so I don't remember, but um, pretty much that's it. One time payment and because it's a foundation sort of a charity foundation so it's partnered up with the i don't know if you know this director named david lynch i don't know david lynch yeah probably. yeah yeah the david lynch foundation he's a massive mm-hmm. uh, sort of uh, advertiser for, for for transcendental meditation and what he does is through that money they spread it all around the world so my the person who taught me was actually like a week ago was training people in prison in mexico how to transcendentally meditate and it was all part of the david lynch foundation so it was just the what money there rehabilitation? Just, huh like Sorry? rehabilitation rehabilitation something like that but it was more to sort of see uh, because obviously in mexico there's a massive sort of he, he told me there's a massive sort of drug epidemic over there and sort of the meditation sort of thing sort of helps them sort of eradicate it from him and he was actually a bipolar before he 
he was diagnosed, fully diagnosed bipolar, and then he learned how to meditate, and then his bipolar symptoms went away. Like these, these are just stories. Yeah, these are insane stories. And some, my other mentor, she wasn't really the one who told me everything, but she was there on the side as well. She, she has suffered from a massive amounts of uh, sleep deprivation, like full-on insomnia. And then she, that's what, this was her only cause because, uh, you know, the people with mental illness are usually very sort of, I'd say, I'd say they're very sort of pessimistic about things. And if it's their last joy, it's sort of a desperate thing. And then suddenly they, they did the meditation thing and it worked. So this sort of thing is you do it 20 minutes, uh, 20 minutes each time, two times a day, one before breakfast, one before dinner, preferably on an empty stomach. And you just sit down, close your eyes and just recite this mantra in your head. And that's it. And it's literally like um, a, ch a charger to your body. Like, you know how your phone needs a charger? This is what it is. It's like a charger. And it's all, open, all that fucking bullshit, third eye opening and all that. But I, I, it really helped me. It, like sometimes when I don't do it, I feel absolutely depressed. Maybe that's sort of a circadian rhythm, some sort of thing. But I just feel just so down. And it's like work without stress. I'm like, like I, I firmly believe that the conversation we had about this whole, the funny thing about the caffeine thing was due to the uh -huh. sort of meditation, the, sort of the consistent meditation that I've been doing. I know Russell Brand does it. The Beatles did it during their heyday uh so yeah pretty much that's that's what helped me replace everything and i've been off it for many years for like a year now and i've been meditating for a year so i was like oh fuck i don't need this so it's amazing yeah and then a, a month ago i decided to go straight edge on everything for five years just because i'm nothing so i'm pretty much no no sort of drugs no alcohol no nothing so just just deal with it. I just uh, you just sort of contemplate your own mortality a lot during that process, and that's very healthy. I feel like more people should sort of contemplate their own mortality in a sense. Which, by the way, so do I. brings us up to your view on mortality. How do you tackle your own mortality, Monsieur Alfie? <laughs> I really like that question. Um, yeah, it's, it's such a brilliant question. It's such a basic but brilliant question. It is. It is because death is something that. Obviously, everyone says death is something we all face eventually, um, and I think it's 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 it becomes much easier once you start facing the mortality of others. Yeah, I think that once you start facing death in others, you understand that death will eventually come to you. But and and it can come. But this is the thing I've fully accepted that at any point it could happen. Um, I I I used to. Like fearful of it, I used oh, yeah. to yeah, really, to. I used to thoroughly fear death. Um, but of recent, I think due to my, I'm, I'm very content with life. I'm very happy. I'm very surrounded by people that I love being around. And I think as that happened, um, from being in a more dark place, I, I've, I've understood that i'm not i'm not fearful of death anymore and i'm not fearful of um and i think that's why i find it found it easier to stand up to people because i'm not fearful of what they could do because mm. i'm not fearful of the consequences of, of telling someone something or because i'm not i don't think anyone's going to kill me but uh, i <laughs> i don't think i'm going to get like hit or no like there's a bounty on my head no one's gonna kill me. I can talk as much trash as I want. Just that's <laughs> that's your motivation. <laughs> I don't think that someone's gonna end up topping me, but I do think that I've 
I'm not fearless even, but I do think the more people that I'm around, that I enjoy being around. I think last week, Jay said the same thing about happiness. I think the happier yeah. you are, um, I do agree that you are, um, the more content and happy you are, the easier you find coping with death. I also think that um, the acceptance of illness. Have you seen Midnight Gospel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a massive Duncan Trussell fan. So there was this episode with the sort of meat factory sort of thing. Is that the one you were trying to reference with these sort of... The one with the bears and, and his mother? Where this lady... No, not... I don't know which one it was, but he goes into this factory where these sort of aliens feed on these animals that they kill and they... One of the early... I know what you mean. The elephant thing. Yeah, they look slightly like hip, hippo elephants. Yeah, 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 Something like that. And she just says, hey, if death comes to me, then so be it. And then Duncan Charles is like, oh, that's so powerful. That's <laughs> pretty much. And yeah. yeah, Midnight Gospel is a great fucking show, not going to lie. I fucking love that shit. Um, it's, um, it's very prophetic. Very, very what? Prophetic. Oh, I thought you very, meant prophetic. Um, Pathetic. <laughs> Very pathetic. Uh, so, no, sorry, I meant prophetic. It's, sorry, it's <laughs> but, it's, um, it's such a it's such a good show, and I just yeah. I I agree with the same thing. If 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 that's gonna happen to me, the same way it's gonna happen to everyone else. I don't believe in reason, but I, I just believe in um, understanding that you have like this is the same thing about being a respectable person and being a good person. You need to do these things not because of anything other than you that's the shit you're meant for yeah it's sort of I, I'm, I bought this book uh it's right next to me actually i haven't read it but it's a highly recommended read i was listening to a podcast between my favorite comedian uh norm mcdonald and uh, do you know the podcast what the fuck with mark maron it used to be the biggest podcast in the world until joe rogan sort of held the crown uh, i don't he's had people like he's had people like obama and pretty damn big officials but the reason why it's not that famous is because he never does a video recording he just keeps the audio and just records it and just go- he invited obama to his garage <laughs> like imagine, they just imagine inviting imagine inviting like obama to your shed and there's like th- and this was like a month before like trump one so he was having his final days in the sort of Oval office and it's like the whole street was blocked by secret service members and literally he describes this thing that's right in front of him like a cylindrical sort of thing right in front of him and i feel like that's just a hidden gun <laughs> in case he f- does something fucked up yeah yeah <laughs> a little a little like secret like uh, definitely definitely yeah. I, you, I i think that they that rooms when presidents enter rooms they must be like bugged and they must be like oh yeah he, he literally explained the whole process like fully blogged and they searched everything everything like full-on set up everything he had to leap for a little bit and then just so they know it was it was like proper official and imagine getting a fucking president in your podcast like that's and, and, that's that's gonna be you nah fuck that shit i don't want i don't want to have a president in my podcast i would like to have boris on my podcast that would be funny and then literally oh, just and literally just piss everybody off by not mentioning any of this podcast yeah, not asking him any questions. Asking him like, "What did you have for lunch?" So, and, so, so, what was the thought process behind the bikes, Boris? Well, I really like the bikes. <laughs> I really like bike riding. And I was like, "Oh, really?" Well, well, I just and thought... then just elongate the conversation until we ask, "How do you tackle your mortality?" And then <laughs> I think that's my go-to question with guests now, because I, I, I'm so obsessed with it. 
so this book oh, was my. mentioned in a yeah i'm so i'm so like holy fuck that's the only because i think we're the uh, we are the only uh sort of the beings that we know of maybe aliens but like that we know of that are sort of cursed with the idea of of understanding their own mortality like a lion just eh, i'm a fucking lion i don't know <laughs> like <laughs> pretty much are we aware with anyone that had the brain i mean unless unless maybe at some point some pelican somewhere has been like why am i flying man yeah, what, what, what smoking a cigarette and be like life is meaningless you motherfucker why are you doing this why are you eating human <laughs> <laughs> well, Charles Charles Bukowski, you know Charles Bukowski. Oh yeah, he's. I've, I've heard his story. I've never read his books. That sort of a thing. I've seen that. Uh, there's this video about his sort of life of just like you know, just yeah. immense amount of suffering, and he just kept on writing books. And suddenly he rose. And he's an incredible poet as well. And he he has yep. this like um, this thing of life of of because he he had a fucking horrible life and. Or he he gives himself purpose by writing by by the writing poems yeah. and by writing books. And I think I think that's another thing as well. I think if you you need to have that's why I think art's so incredible. It's like the most recent thing where the government has told all, all artists to find new jobs. Um, <laughs> that's how you have a day in cybercrime one day. You never know it. <laughs> I love the rage. We could just take away. I love the rage that went on through that. I don't see. I, I don't know. We'll talk about that later. But carry on. Mm. Well, yeah, I think taking away stuff like that is is will just take will, will cause people to cause so much suicide and so much like there's oh, yeah. there's there's people have such a love for life because they have such a love for what they're doing. In life. Yeah. Um, you need to find your thing, and I, some people don't. But it's the people that don't usually find uh, that in something else, like a partner or a, or a family member or a, or anything like a dog. Um, like that purpose, how, even like a plant. Most degrading thing was a dog. Oh no, no! <laughs> dogs like are dog. up. Dogs are up here. <laughs> it goes. It goes. Dog, family, partner, <laughs> plant, plants. What? What kind? Ah, oh, mate. The most superior plant of all is the. Uh, oh, you got a plant? Are you going to show us a plant? Well, I've got another guest. One sec- oh, shit, that really hurt. Oh, you got a hamster? Or, or a cactus? Oh, look at that. It's an. Oh, God, that's a toad. <laughs> it's because I haven't given him enough room to grow. So he can only grow a certain amount. Oh, God, that is. Oh, God, that's on. It's that's sad. Small. It's a sad attempt at a cactus, but it is a plant. <laughs> Uh, what about a bonsai? Bonsai is the most superior because that shit can last for hundreds of years and you can like hand it down to your children. But it takes so much bonsai trees. Like owning a pet. And then, you know what's similar to that sort of thing? Um, uh, sort of starter dough. Like the sourdough starter. Like you got to feed it and keep it every day. Mm-hmm. And then, but yeah, uh, death and death and death. So this book, which I saw of a recommendation, I don't know, do you see it backwards? I feel like you see it backwards, don't you? The Nile of Death. What's what's the, oh, no. the author? Samuel Beckett. So this is a, uh, I think it's a, a Nobel Prize winning, yeah, winner of a Pulitzer Prize. So pretty much. Let me just read the, the sort of verb. Uh, the book argues that human civilization is a defense against the knowledge that we are mortal beings. Beckett states that humans live in both the physical world and a symbolic world of meaning, which is where our immortality product resides. We create in order to become immortal, to become part of something we believe will last forever. In this way, we have to give our lives meaning. 
which is sums up every sort of artistic pre- energy, <laughs> every sort yeah. of artistic project. So like we, we do stuff in order to give our life meaning, but it's not just in terms of art, like doctors, when they do a heart surgery and it's successful, or when they do a heart surgery and it fails, let's hope that's not happening right now, but it does happen. They learn from their mistakes and it's a sort of a living sort of project sort of thing. It's with anything in life, like a, like a with the dissertation, like your dissertation is going to last longer than you. Imagine how crazy that is. This video, by the way, would you be, would you mind if I post it as in like this with me and you on the faces and everything? Or is it of course, something? that's, I'm more than happy with that. This video, hopefully, if the robots don't come in and break away all of YouTube's database, this video is going to last more than us. Yeah. Ain't that crazy? So we're already sort so of doing it our own and it's there. Yeah, it's there forever. And we're already doing our yeah. own mortality project. So it's, there's a, there's a, I think out of all people who explained this properly was the skater. Uh, he's a godfather of skating. Sort of, I don't, I'm not into skateboarding that much, but he's, a, I forgot what his name, uh, Rodney Mullen. Do you know him? Well, basically no. he, uh, do you know anything about skateboarding? I've never even, actually I tried when I was like eight, but no, I don't know anything about skateboarding. I, I, I don't know anything, but I did, I did play a lot of the Tony Hawk games growing up, so I know some tricks. So he invented, like literally, he invented so many, he invented the kit flip, he invented the uh, the ollie, which is when you jump from it. He invented yeah, basically yeah. the base for every single trick. And he basically goes on to uh, sort of, I think it was a California university and says there's an intrinsic sort of value in creating because the people after you are going to be able to do something with those foundations and later on, you know, do, do something great. Like one of your inspirations is Salvador Dali. And that's, I don't know what inspirations you got from it, but that was just some sort of, you, you have that sort of mindset of his sort of artistic expression and you later on use that knowledge to develop your own thing. So there's an intrinsic value in creating. And out of all people, a skateboarder illustrates that in the most sort of basic, simple way. And it was a TED talk, Rodney Monin TED talk, go watch that. And it was at a USC campus where, and he highlights something funny, which is that he's been continuously kicked out of this campus. And now he, because of his skateboarding ventures, and now he's, <laughs> he's, doing and now he's talking there. <laughs> yeah. So pretty much there's an intrinsic value in, in doing some, like in terms of stand up, you watch the, you know, some of the, do you know, um, name me, uh, uh, I mean, Richard Pryor always comes to my mind. Do you know Richard Pryor? I don't. Well, he's not that known in the, in the UK, unfortunately. I wish he's more known. But basically, he's the first comedian to just express, well, not really the first, but the first experience. Like, obviously, there was Red Fox and Moms Mabley, who was way before that. Yeah. Uh, uh, who were way before that. Red Fox being a male and Moms Mabley being a female, like a really old female comedian, just killing everything. And she didn't, she was doing comedy for like most of her life. And then uh, she uh, she rose to fame during her old age because she was like literally an old lady, just literally one of the funniest people alive. And, you know, similar to sort of Charles Bukowski where they rose to fame. So mom's maybe, uh, I think Dick Gregory was the first ever black comedian to ever sit on the couch. He, I think it was the uh, one of the Ed Sullivan, show, one of the old talk shows. And they were like, no, I don't want yeah. They invite him to perform. And they were like, no, nah, I don't want to perform at you guys because no black guy ever sits on the couch. And I was like, what do you, what do you mean, Dick Gregory? Go on, you, you can do it. And then they invite him and he's the first person to sit on the couch. And then from that sort of foundation rose the giant that is R- Richard Pryor. And he, he literally, with brutal honesty, expressed his own 
sort of uh, inferiorities. He was a massive cocaine addict, and he spoke about that out loud on stage. He spoke about his addiction. He spoke about he literally one of his most powerful quotes, which Jerry Seinfeld always references. It's like enough about you know progressing through like politics and all that it's hard enough to be human like have you ever felt like have you ever tried to just be human for a day and not be that hard you get what i mean yeah so that's exactly of philosophy, philosophy within that and then from that rose the from richard Pryor's honesty and his prophetic use of the n-word rose eddie murphy the dave chappelle's the kevin hart's they're all yeah. children of, of of richard Pryor, and bill cosby remained the only black clean comedian that i know <laughs> Pretty much, like literally. Yeah, carry on. I was going to say about when you said about um, it hard, it's hard being a human. Um, that's that's what I was. That's way back to the beginning of us talking. I think that that's what I was trying to say earlier when I said that it is hard to not distract yourself with. That's why people focus so much on politics and stuff like that because mm. it's hard to not just for a day distract yourself with other things. And just yeah. focus on yourself and the people around you and how you're being as an actual human being, how you're treating others, the way that you talk to others in general. Um, I think that uh, it's definitely right to say that being a, being a human for a day or being a human for any amount of time is... Five minutes. Have you ever tried being a human for five minutes and being as effective as possible? No. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's hard to just exist. Yeah, literally, it's hard to exist. But that's where I'm not. I'm not saying that I have any mental issues. But that's where that that's where depression and things come from. Because it's hard to just to exist. just exist, like just be like, oh, this day went great. I did a lot of work, didn't waste a lot of time, and I also had some enough time to have fun. When was when was the last time? Like those days are like holidays to me. When I do enough work. And then I have like, I don't know, two hours to play some video game with my mates. And then suddenly, oh, uh, I sleep. <laughs> and then wake suddenly up the next day. Suddenly it's like two in the morning and you're, you're, you, have to, you have to now. Honestly, it's, so, it's just tough enough to be human, which is, you know, which is something that most people just ignore because either they just want to escape from their own sadness and their own mortality, I guess. And they use that through the mediums of politics. Uh, we do that through, uh, you know, I, I mean, I don't consider stand-up as that much of an art. I consider it as more of a craft, but you do that through your art. I do that through, through my craft, which is just writing down the joke and just repeating it. It's sort of a distraction from something, but it also gives meaning to what I'm doing. So I guess that's their own way of escaping from it, but I don't think it's as effective. Like, political no. activism is great, but everybody's doing it. So if everybody's doing it, is it that effective? You're just one of the bottle, as Mourinho would say. There's no special one. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I think, I think um, especially through BLM and things like that, um, obviously I'm, I'm a massive activist yeah. for everything like that. I think yeah, yeah, if you're not, you're insane. <laughs> but I think also that when... So when the Blackout Tuesday thing happened... Oh, that I was stupid. <laughs> that was fucking dumb. I posted nothing at all because I thought to myself, in what way are we different from the people that are posting shit on social media to the people that are posting Blackout Tuesday? Blackout Tuesday. I posted it just to do with the, for the sake of not dealing with the headache of not posting yeah. anything. And then you but would go for someone... You go. Uh, 
Oh, wait, gar- carry on. What was it? I was going to say that um, I saw people who were posting it. This is what made it worse, so much worse for me. I saw people that were posting it, family members even, and then you would find out later that they don't actually believe that. Yeah, I think there's a lot. Like, I have this joke that I'm working on, which is going to be pretty controversial, but fuck it, I'm going to say it. Well, basically, I just... Uh, fuck. The way I'm going to start this out is just sounds like I'm going to point to a black guy on the crowd. <laughs> okay, then, all right, that's, that's a good start. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then, hey, man, what's up? What's your name? Blah, 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 blah. All right, just be honest about this black guy's man. How many uh, non-black uh, women supported the Black Lives Matter movement just because they want to fuck a black guy? And every black person I've asked has said an exponential amount. <laughs> so i'm hoping i'm hoping that the guy in the crowd is like oh no doesn't feel triggered but there's some like 50 year old woman in the there's some like 50 year old woman in the process like black dick matters Which is also bullshit because it shows you that women usually lead the front when it comes to civil rights issues, even the modern day. Because you know, a, a lot of them remember my my Angelou. A lot of them, my Angelou. Who else? Uh, I forgot. I forgot. Uh, Rosa Parks. There's another one that I studied in my politics course, but I forgot her name. But they were also some. Like I'm not supporting communism, but I'm just saying they were massive members of the communist party in that regard, and they were of the Abbey background. And then Malcolm X, uh, sort of Martin Luther King came in as a sort of in charge. It was built by a foundation of women, but before uh, Martin Luther King came in and did the march on Washington, but obviously during that time, no one would have taken a woman marching on Washington that seriously. Like the only woman that was taken seriously was Rosa Parks, uh, but that's because she was literally captured. She was literally put in an inferior position. Whereas this was more something coming from, oh, we're trying to make a create a dominancy for ourselves, create a normalization, and then the march on Washington happened. Uh, a man would only be able to do that during the 1960s era, which is unfortunate, but but sort of true. Uh, where was I going with this? Um, what, what were we talking about? <laughs> uh, we we bled from mortality to this, I believe. Oh no, but like before um, what I mentioned, you mentioned uh, comedians. Oh no, no, no! Like and you mentioned. Before, what did you say before why before i spoke this is a great podcast by the way. this is such a good podcast no i think we've hit some good topics i think we've hit um, some really good topics oh yeah we were focusing on this sort of uh, oh man i'm usually good at this we were sort of focusing on sort of the activism sort of thing like literally before i said the whole thing about martin luther king and these sort of the uh, and, um, oh yeah, the black, dick black dicks. Black dicks. We were talking about black dick matters. Yeah, we were talking. So, we were talking like, heavily about black dicks, and that was the only subject. <laughs> we were talking about black dicks. So it's funny. Even in the modern day, the women are taking the charge, and then the black woman asks the black guy. Although no offense, obviously they do a lot of things. But in retrospect, it seems like, in a joke format, it seems like oh, I just sent a bunch of dick pics, and they all support me. Now. <laughs> Sorry, not all black people have big dicks. It's just a funny joke. I'm sorry. It's, just, listen, it's not all of them. They're great guys. <laughs> the joke just makes sense. It just just makes there's sense. No... <laughs> we just have um, to talk. We just, listen. There's a whole porn category. You're gonna ignore the porn category. <laughs> you can't ignore the most the most uh, the most uh, rich entertainment <laughs> form in the world because they, they exactly. have a category called black dicks. 
You can't ignore that shit. It's it's hitting you in the face. Black, there's black shit <laughs> hitting you in the face. And then and there we go. <laughs> and there we go. We had to say something. Listen. So when was the last time you did a stand up? Before Oh I, oh mate, like literally um a month before the lockdown. Like literally I've got a gig for tomorrow, which is somehow I managed to get one. Yeah, I've got a gig. Oh, for, in like a, a gar in like the uh, backyard of some place, um, yeah, I'm, I'm nervous. Obviously, it's gonna feel like doing it for the first time because with stand up, it's like, sorry, I'm swallowing my burp, which is disgusting. But um, <laughs> in stand up, it's I'm like burp away, <laughs> burp away. <laughs> <laughs> Just be both in, or let it all out, let it all out. There was this. Uh, sort of speaking of that, there was this John Mulaney joke. Uh, do you know this comedian John Mulaney? He's pretty good. I think so, I have heard. I've heard the name. I don't know. I haven't watched him. I don't he, think he had this joke that I've reached this age where I'm just I'm like 45 uh, and I'm like not old and not young. I'm like disgusting phase. Like I swallow through my own burps while going through conversations. Like, excuse me, you're gonna go. You're gonna go with that. <laughs> it's like it's before when I was a little kid. It was like, ladies and gentlemen, wait. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> Like burp was, burp was the punchline, and now you're just avoiding it. So now, now it's like now it's now it's like your 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 confidence is like I'm st I still burp in front of large Yeah, crowds. you gotta let you gotta let it through. Like oh mate, the best thing is I'm working at a kid's shop now, and I can just fart as much as I want. <laughs> and, and the, kids, the, kids. Love uh, no, the and, kids love it. The kids love it. The kids. They'll be like, "Was that you?" <laughs> They're all laughing away. No, no, no. I can just fart as much as I want and they'll blame it on the kids. <laughs> because it's and there's like, you what? sitting there in the corner giggling away. <laughs> what, are they going to blame it on the, on the grown-up? Uh, yeah, so I've got a gig on Thursday at some place called the, the, the Shakespeare Pub. Um, don't come. I'm going to be bad. So whoever's listening, just don't worry. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be like me trying out material again. Like It's just I need to develop more shit and like i've written a lot of things down and i've just got to try it out see how it, it works out um so yeah that stand-up is a weird one because if you stay away from it for a while it's like starting from zero because it's like really? yeah yeah because if you only get out the because think about it, how long does it take you to get have you ever had a part-time job you you worked at your dad's pub right i did i did yeah and you were working so what twice a uh, twice a week or more something like that uh twice three times a week Three times a week. Think about it. Yeah. So, uh, how long did it take you to get used to the 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 place? Like, how long did it take to get used to the dynamics, the way? Oh, so, like a year. A year, but like in terms of like understanding what you need to do the work, like in terms of the. Oh, like a, oh, like two weeks. Two weeks. So, uh, and you were like two days a week. Uh yeah yeah three. So, so that's that's around I don't know thirty hours of dedication to it, and yeah, to, for me to get. 30 hours in stand-up means I have to do five-minute sets, this the minimum, uh, for however long. <laughs> it takes a while to a perfect lot of work. It. Yeah, a lot of work, but it's fun. you got to commit to it. It doesn't matter. Like, if I, if I get to a... If I'm in a position where I'm like... Uh, I'm, a, I'm a... What's it called? An opening act? I'm good. I'm just happy. I'm happy. I'm doing it. Yeah. Like, I don't, I, don't want, I, want, I don't want... I don't want fame. The last thing I want is to hold responsibility for something. The last thing I want is, is the sort of fame. I do this for the fun of it. Like, um, this podcast will probably get, like, I don't know, 15 downloads. 
I'm very impressed you're still doing it, by the way, because I've I've seen so many people try the podcast thing and just fall through because they don't have dedication. But you have a lot of dedication to this. Yeah, it came from starting stand-up because I realized, oh no, the joke needs several attempts for it to be sharpened. You know, it's a bit like a samurai sword, you know, something you gotta keep on sharpening that and then training the blade. And then you reach a point, I don't know, hopefully you've reached this in your art where doing the art becomes its own thing like there's this book by uh, Miyamoto Masashi who was one of the greatest samurais ever and every day he used to just use his samurai and then chop bamboo swords every day just chop them like bamboo bamboo sticks every day just chop keep on chopping keep on chopping and then suddenly he realized that the chopping became its own existence sort of thing like you're independent from the chopping that's you know what I mean and we get that the best example because he, because he had done it so much yeah, it became sort of, it became in that flow sort of process. It, it, you, you became disconnected from the sort of the thing that you're doing. Like you, you realize that when you're playing video games, it's, it's something that you repeat a lot. It's a flow state. Performers get it. Uh, I think uh, if, you're, if you're a cashier and sometimes you don't realize, holy shit, I just gave that guy, I don't know, 350 pounds he just gave me 350 pounds and i just gave him 25 and change without me even realizing what i was doing you just independent yeah. your your brain th- does the thing and you just do it because of the amount of times you repeated it and the goal is to be like that the goal is to be in that yeah, yeah, yeah that's why that that's why it's so uh, it's so entertaining to watch like uh, a mick jagger perform nowadays because he's just so in tune with the way he performs, you know what I mean? Like, he still sells out tickets because his, like, his samurai sword has been sharpened. You know what I mean? Exactly. I know exactly so, what you mean. It's, it's like instinct. It becomes like, it, it becomes like animalistic when you do something enough. It's like, you know yeah. exactly what you're doing. Like, I don't know, trimming, the, trimming the beard, you, now I know how to do it instantly. And like, obviously mm-hmm. I've got to be careful because I'm, I'm, you know, I've got to make sure my face looks good. But it's like, it's just, you got to do it. People who shave their own hair are like, people that do their own, but like, like, I, people have been telling me for ages to shave my sides myself and I, I refuse to do it. <laughs> I refuse. I'm like, I'm going to cut my head open. You can't. <laughs> You're going to cut your head myself. Open. Yeah, beware of the death spot. I'm only 12. <laughs> what is that fucking thing? What is that fucking death well, spot? The, the, that shit scares me. <laughs> It's like, it's like a bottom, jello. it's like a self It's like a jello on top. It's like, what the hell is that? It's like, what? You were ripped off when you were born? Well, you were ripped off when we were born. Give me my full form. It's like, <laughs> it's like, it's it's like 20%. This? It's like 20%. They're taking away 20% of the body. I mean, you came, out, I mean you, you came out of the vagina, so you know, you know, you're not going to be fully formed. <laughs> it even got this sex. I don't, I don't carry babies. You don't carry babies? I don't carry never... anything that has a self-destruct on it. <laughs> I don't carry anything that has a death button. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> is, is it because you're afraid of potentially killing the thing or is it I'm afraid of killing the baby. On purpose or by accident? On purpose or by accident? Depends on the behaviour of the baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, man. Was, I, watched, I watched this too. Oh, mate, I, I put this on my story. There's this Munchies documentary, which was filmed in a, because Vice is a parent company of Munchies, the sort of food documentary channel. You know about Munchies, right? Have you ever heard of it? Or... Yeah, I've heard of Munchies. There's this episode called The Man Who Eats Roadkill. And mate, it is comedy gold. 
it, it like literally the way it's edited like there's this there's this moment where he finds this badger on the street and it's a british guy he speaks like he's like an old british guy you'd expect it to be like some guy from the south <laughs> speaking of the south yeah again. like some like <laughs> wildebeest hunting yeah, gun I, I, I fucked that badger up. I ate it. I, I chewed it. And goddamn the head. Look at the tongue. It's so it's so tender. Goddamn it. <laughs> the uh, eyes are the best part. The eyes are the best part. Come on, look at it. Look at look at them giblets. <laughs> look at it. I can't get enough. I can't uh, get enough. I can't get enough of a badger. Mm-mm. I wish they die every day by a cop. <laughs> <laughs> So he, he's, he's a taxidermist and he speaks like this. Well, you know, it's, it's sort of seeing, you know, I, 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 I was a taxidermist beforehand. And then one day I thought maybe it would be fun to, uh, to keep the thing rather than the, the, everything go away. And I've been doing it ever since. It was, it's been going on for 12 years now. Like literally, that's how he talks. And he is the most entertaining, the, the voice of him. This is, this is the perfect example of don't judge, by a book by, don't judge a book by its cover. Not all black people have big dicks. This is the perfect example of... <laughs> of, 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 of We've of learned this. that today and that's a good lesson to learn. <laughs> it's like he, he talks like this and, you know, they ask him, have you ever, human, have you ever resulted in cannibalism? Well, you know, if, if, if I was in a situation where I was starving out of hunger with a group of people and the, the only option was to eat a human, then I would eat him without any uh, repercussion or any drawback at all. I wouldn't have to. Uh, and then he asked him, what about for fun? And he's like, well, I did think of it. The doctor once gave me uh, a leg, once offered to give me a leg because apparently there's some underground cannibal shit, but they do it in the sense where, oh, this leg has been amputated. It's like, oh, it's like been cut off from the wall. Hey, some doctor was uh, offering me uh, but this is what he said before. You know, I don't really interfere with people's actions. Let people do whatever they do, which means he knows a bunch of cannibals. Um... <laughs> he's gagging for it. He's gagging for a bit of human flesh. And then he's like, well, a doctor once offered... This is his excuse for not going for cannibalism. A doctor once offered me a leg and I refused it. Uh, obviously, I was a sort of would have been fun to cook, but I would not stop from... I would not refrain from telling people about it. I would tell everybody that I ate a human leg. <laughs> Like he didn't, his logic is insane. He would be like, oh, I wouldn't eat it because I, I couldn't resist telling people that I ate it. Not because it's a fucking crime. <laughs> and then, Jesus. And, then, this is the most, like... and this is the most innocent old guy. He walks around with socks and sandals and like a massive jumper, like a lumberjack jumper. And it's like some really strange jeans. And he's like, they ask him, would you ever eat your cat? It's like, well, you know, if you go to the sign over there, it's the, uh, the grave of my cat. Could you imagine what my wife would say if I eat my cat? <laughs> so he doesn't care. He doesn't, he doesn't care whether he actually ate it or not. He cares whether people know whether he ate it. He's, he, that's psychotic. That's, that is, that's, that's murderer level. And then, and then his, his in-laws come in, and then the way he introduced him, this is where... Uh, uh, he introduced him in the most sort of show business sort of way, which is uh, which is just comedy gold for me. It's like, hello, these are he's my brother-in-law, and this is he's my nephew, his son, the, the great two, the great duo of the twentieth century. And <laughs> what? Oh wow! And then, and then the, the way it's edited is hilarious. It's similar to Have you ever seen this documentary called Grizzly Man? No. 
I'll get into that later. But the way it's edited, it's like there was this cut where he he's butchering the badger, and he's like it cuts into him holding the skin, it cuts into him holding the meat, and each cut is like zooming in, holding the meat, and then suddenly it cuts into his face, and he's like. What? He's dead. He's dead behind the eyes. There's something wrong with this guy. Do you know what murderers do? I'm very interested in, in this sort of stuff. And do you know, do you know what murderers do? They will, oh, okay. Do they, like, apart well, from killing people? Apart from killing people, their their side job. Like, that's, that's they they will current. like put on a show because yeah. because in their head they are just gone. So they oh. they 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 assume. That what they're doing is completely normal because they don't understand what normal is. So he's putting on this show of like, these are my, these are my, this is my family. And then really behind all of that, that show he thinks he's putting on, he's fucking brain dead, <laughs> lobotomized. And that's why when you see his face, that's why when you see the taxidermy's face, he's like this. But no, he smiles. He's like, you look at him and you wouldn't think he eats roadkill. Like, that's the weird thing about it. You would not think he is roadkill. Like, it's so strange. It, it weirded the fuck out of me. Like, I expected some southerner. I really did expect some southerner. But no. Yeah. This guy. And then, well, here's the tongue. And then he takes it out and chops it out with some silverware. And then he eats it. And then the way he eats it, because it was straight. He made a, a badger stew. And he only took the head off. Yeah, they took he took like some of the sort of giblet guts uh, take took him out and then just some just three things were taken from the badger and then he cooked it slowly in a stew and then um he cooks it and then he takes out the tongue oh you can see the brains oh wait no the brains popped off sometimes that happens <laughs> like the brains evaporate because brains are literally just a piece of fat and like obviously fat melts with heat so that's where your brain is that's why it's so healthy to have those healthy fats in the morning and like coconut oil yeah. yeah, all that stuff so he whoops out the tongue and when he eats it he's like because it's so hot he's doing he's doing the, the, the cool it down technique inside the mouth with a fucking badger tongue <laughs> when you're like <laughs> yeah 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 oh, oh my god he's like he's like letting it letting it sit there for a bit yeah he's like oh, so tender Oh my god, that's really gross. <laughs> but it's hilarious. The way it's filmed, it's like the guy, it's like I never expected such normalcy from such an abnormal thing. It's not even the fact that he, it's it's the fact that like roadkill is like germ ridden. <laughs> I know. Obviously, he said, boiling it. Oh no, he once found a skunk and he was like, well, if you uh, keep it under running water for three days, it becomes perfectly edible. Just, just what happened to like, what happened to like, just go popping down Tesco's and yeah, and just getting some minced beef, buying something <laughs> that is normal to eat. Oh no, he obviously eats normal food. The roadkill is a delicacy. Like it's, it's because obviously he's not allowed to kill the animals. Like Christmas. Yeah, yeah, he he wouldn't kill the animals. He actually is uh, loves animals because he's a taxidermist. But he makes use of the roadkill. Like if someone. Like obviously the the warden of the area calls him as like hey we got a we got a there's obviously a group and a phone call hey we got we got a, like a, a badger on the street would you like to pick it up and then he knows literally the whole he literally knew that it would be fresh even though he literally knew how long it's been dead for and he said it's been dead for a period of three weeks 
but because of the cold conditions, uh, it, it probably preserved itself. So I don't think it's rotten at all. But yeah, I'm pretty fairly certain it's not rotten at all. And then the documentary is going, "Oh my God, we got we got food. <laughs> We're going to record this <laughs> comedy gold." Comedy is fucking. It is. Oh my god! I'm obsessed with that person. I'm actually obsessed with, with how how insane that is. You know, I'm obsessed yeah. with, with individuals, and this one was like a guy who I'm like on the surface is like looks like no. Oh, he's old. He's old. Um, oh, this is one of his favorite quotes. This is one of my favorite moments. Where he just says it in the most strict. Well, he obviously says that. So, well, I used to be married. I used to be this sort of messenger, sort of some sort of some religious sect. And then um, where they read out the Bible in a certain way to people, and then mm-hmm. he started he started questioning the religion because uh, well, I started questioning the religion because I thought uh, you know it should be for the uh, blind as well. So I started questioning the religion, and we should make it not for the blind. We should make it for the deaf as well. Some sort of way for them to translate the Bible for the deaf. So they were against Braille, that sort of religion. Thing. But then the the, the religion abandoned me, and because of that, I had to leave my first wife, and uh, now I'm married to a new one, and I'm happy. And uh, it's safe to say that after that conversation, I, after that incident, I am now a, a, an atheist. What? His whole faith complex. Yeah. He's gone. <laughs> All into one. He's gone. Alongside roadkill. <laughs> Alongside roadkill. And, he, and his logic against cannibalism. This guy was the most interesting motherfucker ever. I absolutely love him. I'm obsessed with him. I'm, I'm literally, I literally am. I would love to just listen. On the podcast, you have to get him on. On the podcast. This coming and then, well, it's, it's, uh, I'm very fascinated by the fact that you took a liking to my personality. Not many people say that they usually just come to me for the roadkill, but I really appreciate that. I was like, no, mate, it ain't just a roadkill. Oh, You've God. got your genius. <laughs> you're, you're fucking <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, it's just weird characters. People being themselves is just everything to me. That's yeah. like, oh, you don't. Like, are you, are you, obviously, you have a sense of emotional awareness to observe the fakeness within within humans. Like the idea that they sort of yeah. not fakeness, but they try and cover sort of facade of something rather than being more introspective about themselves. And that's like you have to work on the within before you exuberate the outwards. I feel like a Russell Brand, but yeah, you get what I mean. It's like yeah, yeah. How, I think I think yeah, I think I definitely have an awareness of emotion. Is it? How, how how do you are you able to be like oh he's having a rough day just from the look of his eyes because I have that oh of course well I <laughs> this was interesting so actually I won't say names and I won't because this is a more of a personal story but um there were, there's people that I know that 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 we thought were having sex and I said to everyone in my house I said put me in the room with them for twenty minutes and I'll know. <laughs> And I'll know. <laughs> Not you'll so know. I think, I'll know. <laughs> I was like, I'll I'll know because th- there's certain there's certain quirks of people. Yeah, I definitely I understand that how someone's. I'll look at someone in a, in a moment. I'm not the sort of person either to just like let something go. So I'll look at someone in the moment. I'll be like, they're not right. I won't let them unless they're really um, resisting. I won't let them tell me they're fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can tell someone's not a lot of people just go are you okay someone goes yeah they go oh, okay then but the, your in- your instinct when someone asks you are you okay is to instantly say yes 
mm. um, which is why I find which is why I find you have to four or five times say I know you're not why are you lying to me. Yeah, I get I like I work at retail and literally like I'm so programmed to when someone asks me I'm good uh, like I ask you how are you and I was like I'm good how about you so I'm good thank you for asking <laughs> like it's such yeah. an automatic response and that's just perfectly illustrated like, it's like you can yeah, it's really good to have a sort of level of emotional intelligence there for me it's like okay I need to back away right now I need to be less sort of myself in this situation and be like okay i empathize with your feeling i think the most powerful thing to someone is not tell them oh you're dealing with shit here's the solution i think it's more powerful to be like i completely empathize with you and i've got i really I, like i can't offer the solution i'm i'm only 20 and i but I, I absolutely yeah. empathize with you and let's just talk about it i think i think i used to be the guy who just like oh i i say it like it is i offer the solutions i fucking hate people who are like i say it like it is your nose is big i'm sorry yeah. i say it like it is <laughs> yeah i it's so people that are like i i oh, i'm not gonna lie to you i hate the way you look or like you're a bad like your people are like there's a there's an there's honesty which is always an incredible thing to be able to have mm. and then there's rude you're just <laughs> yeah, rude, rude. Like I'm, I'm sorry for being rude, but honestly, yeah. honestly, you really need to broaden your shoulders because you look really fucking skinny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that sort of thing. Like obviously, I'm sorry for being rude. You have a bad breath. You want a breath mint? Just take that. And like that, that's that's the sort of better, like sort of example of like I'm sorry for being rude. But I'm sorry for being rude. I mean, like um, your nose is too big. Like stuff that you can't really fix. Shouldn't yeah, be mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, human I, beings need to learn that when you can't, when things can't change, or when things are gonna like you can fix, you can change your nose. But I don't agree with with um, plastic surgery. So you, it's it's that thing where like you can't almost belittle someone into paying thousands of pounds for for something like that. I think mm-hmm. a lot of the time when it comes to emotions, I find I find that. That it's like that that at the end of Midnight Gospel where they say whether the mum is solely sort of degrading due to cancer and he she he says well how do I deal with that and she says just cry because it's it's a similar thing when someone's going through something I think just just hug them yeah just hold them everything you can to make them i i i don't like i i'm i can do it but i and i'm i have done it before but i don't like talking to someone too heavily through their emotions yeah you just nice. cover them with the blanket get them what they want and care for them because they'll work it out theirself but the best brain to help you through yourself is your own pretty much so you got you're not you're not a psychiatrist like you're not trained for this obviously you can be the guy who's who's hugging the person and they're crying like one time i was at i was at a, a, a romford station and some old guy came up to me and he was crying like mad and he was like oh my grand my mother just died like literally just came up to me and my mother just died i need help i feel like i'm having a heart attack and he was just literally hugging me like for like just all the time and he's crying on my my chest and he's just crying, crying, crying. And he's just hugging me. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. I really don't know what to do. I can't offer him any solutions. Um, exactly. This was before the thought process. 
yeah the thought process of like oh the best thing you can do is just empathize the, like I've, I've had that this thought process came like about two weeks ago but before i was just standing there like, what am i supposed to do i'm hugging this guy and he's just crying he's madly crying and his, his mother just died uh, he's just crying to a random person and he just it, it was it was such a weird moment for me and he was like i feel like i'm so how that experience well. is is incredible yeah I feel like I'm having, he was like, I feel like I'm having a heart attack. And obviously, um, during the moment, I wasn't able to analyze the situation because it, it, once you get into it, you're like, no, no way, this guy's having a heart attack. His lip isn't twitching. He's able to talk. So I'm just, I'm just talking to him and he's like, but he was having a panic attack. That's what he was having. And I was just with him. And then um, I tell, uh, I literally, thank God, it was literally right on the doors of Romford Station, like uh, on that area. So I just uh, pointed to the uh, sort of uh, railroad uh, service guy. And uh, he just told him, "Hey, can you contact a taxi? Can you can you do something? Can you just bring up a taxi." And then he's mm -hmm. like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, we'll sort that out." And then he's like, he calms down, tears going by, and literally he just calls his sister uh, and tells her, "Hey, I just need I just need a, a place to sleep. I don't want to sleep alone. Can I just come to your house?" Uh, and yeah, I've got a taxi going by, and um, literally that was I didn't know what to do in that situation, but I did the right thing by not knowing what to do and it literally just yeah, helped. Yeah, yeah. like that day that moment probably affected the sort of the sort of alignment of his life that was it was weird now i'm not bragging it's just something that i mentioned i, I hate That's to brag about because ever since then my friend kieran was calling me a hero and i'm like yo i did fucking nothing <laughs> yeah but i i just i just hugged him i but was just the right person at the right place I was just in that situation. I'm not bragging about it. This is just a perfect example of like, oh, I just empathize with you. And that's just more powerful than be like, well, you got to do this. You got to fix up. You got to do that. And yeah. I, I feel like, I feel like I can't like, it's more insulting as well nowadays for me for someone to be like, oh, well, you got to do this. You got to do it. Unless it's my dad or my mom, because they're obviously wiser and they share my gene, genetic pool and they obviously know what the right thing would be. But, but for someone to be like, oh, you got to do this, you got you think I'm stupid to not know what I got to do. Just be with me and just feel and mm -hmm. just empathize and just let me hug you. I need a hug. You know what I mean? Connection. You, the best thing you can give someone is human connection. When you say they start rambling to you about what they think you should do in a situation, you lose that touch. Yeah. And you don't want to lose that because that's the best thing you can give someone in that moment. So you mm -hmm. just, if you don't have something that's the exact right thing, you know it is, you say nothing at all. Nothing. Just, just hold them. Just, just hold them. them. And then maybe later on offer a solution. And then it's like, because it's like, yeah. I don't know. I just, I just get triggered when it's something that triggers me when someone explains something and then I'm like, you think I'm stupid? I don't know that. It's like, it's just. I've very much adopted the term, don't tell me what to do. Like that <laughs> is something that I say so much now. And it's yeah, even yeah. with small things, like someone will say, so, like, oh, I, I can't, someone will say move, or someone will say do this or do that, or, or you're doing this wrong. And I just, I just turn to them with this look in my eyes, I'm like, don't tell me what to do. Yeah. Because you, it's, it's people, that's when you get people that are thoroughly fucking entitled. And yeah. you, that, that is a bad, bad way of, especially, I like, suppose, you have you have to be the wisest 20 year old on earth to be recommending me shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. Like you've yeah. never, you haven't lived the life you're, you're sort of experience. You're in a, 
you're, you're, there's, obviously there's education within books and thought process and you probably read a lot more literature than me and you know how this sort of thing goes and this sort of thing goes but there's something that can only be learned through time and that's spiritual awareness that that's the, and you only learn that through time and the, the perfection of it usually comes at an older age you know what i mean so it's like robin williams in in good rule hunting do you remember yeah. that do you remember that scene what robin williams in good he, he sat next to good old mad damon and he said <laughs> he said um you may have read everything you possibly can about um da vinci or or all of these incredible oh, people yeah, i remember that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and he said but i bet you've never you've never been to italy or you've, you've never, never seen the sistine chapel you've never or you've never smelt that room or or, or about love and about you, you may have like fucked a few times you may have been with 20 different girls but have you ever been completely vulnerable in front of someone who felt like that was the person that you could do that with or have you ever truly woken up next to someone and know that without them you would be less happy or that that would affect your life in such a detrimental way these are things that you can only learn through through experience and until you have them you just need to yeah, keep people on just need on. to. Yeah, you just need to. Sh- you don't know. The, the mm. wisest thing you can do is offer empathy when it comes to. Anything. You can be as like we are. You can be as um. What's the word? Oh, you said it earlier. Witty as possible, but and you can be as quick as possible up here. But you, you're never gonna know what to say until you've experienced something yeah like there's a lot there's a bookcase right in front of you full of books but there's another invisible bookcase right in front of you that you'll learn to appreciate and understand over time that's how i feel about about life like no matter how many nobel prizes you want how many pods or what you might have a certain degree of emotional intelligence which is part of it you obviously some people are more emotionally intelligent than intelligent than others but end of the day there's something that is there's the, the, the identification of mortality i think that's the root of it that yeah. that sort of that that's the root of it and it fruits into something that i really can't describe it's just something like that you see in your parents something that you see in your grandparents um you know it, it's just fruits into something so and that's something that you only get as you grow up you know mm. the child like, there, there was this joke uh it sort of describes it but it's sort of it's it's a very morbid joke but it's like it's let me just say it's by my favorite comic norm mcdonald he was like oh you see on the a lot of celebrities committing suicide and you know all that thing and then you know you see them on the news and they're like oh, i can't believe how how can he commit suicide i never understand that i don't know why someone would commit suicide and then he's like well you don't <laughs> you, yeah you don't know you don't know how life is constantly unforgiving exactly. as you grow up and then exactly that's, that's just a, a branch of it that's just a branch like exactly that joke perfectly illustrates a branch there's a whole tree part that's part of that and that only comes with age and uh, we've experienced some thought or we've described some of the branches but no matter what obviously maybe as we grow up the tree wouldn't be fully complete but there's more branches added to it and that's something yeah. that age will always have that's the great uh, equalizer of ego in a sense it is it is and i think your ego definitely not lowers but your comfortability with having ego is is um 
is definitely like um, stronger as you grow older. Yeah. You become more comfortable with the fact that you know that you have that growing uh, ego and you can deal with it. Uh, and you can be more grounded because I do try my best to be grounded uh, and understand that, as I said earlier, you don't, I don't know everything. I don't know everything. <laughs> I don't know everything. I, be- I know barely anything. No, I know I know stupid facts which make me seem intelligent and the way I say things is probably like uh, the way I say it but that deep down it just stems from a massive insecurity about my own intelligence so every that's what it that's the drawback behind that on I'm very insecure about my own intelligence and I don't know and the only way to solve that is just hey fuck it just be and enjoy the sparks that you have you know what I mean yeah, that's the only way I, I I can cope with it. Like no matter what, I'll always be insecure of my own intelligence, uh, which is is that just match your biggest insecurity? Um, I've got knocked knees. <laughs> <laughs> you got no knock knees is when they go back, right? No, when they go like like knee, they go like like they're like they're like this. They're like closer to each other. Oh, I see. Like you've got knees like this. Like they they go inwards. Yeah, I literally flap out my feet when I walk. Like they go they go sideways too that. much. I used to do that. Yeah, but that, I think it's it, to do with height because you're quite tall, aren't you? Yeah, it, it was like oh fuck, the printer had a malfunction when we were going through the growth spurt. Yeah, <laughs> it was like it was a refill paper phase, and you know when the refill paper phase occurs, there's a paper jam somehow, and then yeah. you just continue on, just fuck it, cramming this height. <laughs> Just pulling, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm forever insecure because of so much of because because comedy is like a, a massive, uh, uh, so is art, I guess, but stand up is is a massive sort of intellectual pursuit in a sense because it's like trying to find the right way to be funny, and many times, nine times out of ten, that fails. So you just, I just have to deal from that. I learned how to deal. From stand-up, it was very therapeutic to deal with, you know, I'm not going to get everything right every time. And maybe one time that I get a joke right, it's like, oh, that's solidified in the notebook. That's solidified in the act. And then I'm like, okay, I've learned how to appreciate the spark. Like, just appreciate the one time where it goes, everything just clicks. Yeah. You no. Know? Yeah. That's, not, that's the only way I can deal with it. Um, yeah. I, get, I completely get that. My biggest fear, my biggest fear is, is ending up as a hack because I don't know. I always say this quote by Malcolm X. I've said it in my podcast before, but when they asked him for credentials, he said, "I don't have any idea. I don't have any credentials. Sincerity is my only credential." And this was in a phase where he was sort of he went he visited Mecca, which is a big thing, and then he saw I saw were white blue eyed I saw blacks I saw brown skins and they all were together as one and he used to believe oh no the white man and the black man can't you know cooperate together we need to we need to have a war and sort of, sort of something like that but then he saw that mm-hmm. and then and then so as long as you're sincere with, with yourself that's one of my biggest fears appearing like a hack because who knows one day I might quit this stand up thing let's hope not I really enjoy the joke writing process I really enjoy the the crowd but one day i'll be like uh, fuck it i don't i don't like this stand up and one day i might who knows i might quit this podcast my myself as 20 is is going to be totally different to myself at 21 and that's only uh, uh, yeah. two months away that's how 
that's my biggest fear the change of, of personality the change of being because meditation changed in me so much and um yeah just something and i think it have you you probably because you want oh i'm gonna be i'm gonna do art as a grown-up when you do art it's very meditating and then you feel like holy fuck mm-hmm. i'm changing I'm, my personality is changing how did that how did you manage to deal with that um i i think my personality changed a lot i, th- I think it was so since college mm-hmm. i think my personality is has changed a lot um i think I think I, like we were talking about earlier, I think I struggle more with ego yeah, and not letting myself get too ahead of myself. Um, and with what I say, with how I speak to people, I try and, as I was saying, I try my best. Um, the way I deal with that, I guess, is I, I actually did meditate for a bit. Yeah, so what kind of uh, meditation did you do? Was it yoga? Any, any form of the mindfulness Yoga. Thing? Yoga, yoga, uh, yoga, and at the end of every yoga session, I would just sit and be content with the room I was in. I would look at everything in the room and understand its its presence, and understand my presence in the room. I think, I think, I, I, I think everything's connected. Uh, I think that I'm, I am this coffee mug, and this coffee mug is me. I think that I am this, yeah, this everything bracelet, this bracelet. Yeah, you're equal. Uh, this is what happened to me when I did um, acid once. <laughs> uh, delve right in there <laughs> I'll, uh, well, i'm just gonna say one thought but i was equal to a, 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 a grain of grass like a little just a little piece of grass i was equal to that because in the end this grass is gonna probably share like this someone just looking at this grass might have an explosion of thought that could change the world more than more than i could ever do that more than i could do so and then me telling this story could possibly because it's gonna last forever it's gonna be on on the youtube me telling you this story could trigger a thought process for someone and it might not come to fruition as a project or something groundbreaking but then he'll tell his children and then it will pass down to this generation it's all about the way i viewed life when i said it was like imagine life is just a period of lines going straight that parallel to each other and they're going like this this is life it's just going like that and then suddenly jesus comes in and just shrinks them all together at once and then slowly yeah. they spread apart. You know what I mean? And every every human should strive to get those lines closer every now and then in their life. And that could stem from looking at a grain of grass. That could stem from um, just this podcast. That could stem from anything. As long as you're doing something in your life, good or bad, bad we can learn from, good we can benefit from, you know, because it all I passes so. down. You're in, you're in this, yeah. it's about human oneness where we're all sort of one. God, this is more sounding like Russell Brand than anything else. Um, <laughs> anyways, I, I, I listen to Russell Brand. Yeah, I, I listen to him not that much because he, he, he becomes, uh, he used to be really political. And then uh, from because of how political he was, I was like, uh, I saw him live once. And then that was pretty cool. Ticket switchy, yeah, but he was cool. Um, he's a cool guy, I, I absolutely, he's a great he's guy. Cool. He's very, I, I worry that he, he occasionally becomes slightly righteous, but apart from that, I think he's he the way the way he thinks, the way he speaks, he's grounded as fuck, yeah, yeah, especially and he's left, motherfucker left Kate Perry. <laughs> I mean, come on now, <laughs> what more? He's so, grounded, 
Yeah, and then suddenly just went fuck this celebrity bullshit, which is cool. Which is just a cool story. Which is very cool. He wasn't really. He, I always saw him as a celebrity that wasn't really a celebrity. Yeah, um, I, I, I didn't think of him as like hey, let's Hollywood, but for some reason his personality was. He had a talk show during the, in the UK. When I'd see him in a movie, I'd be like, movie Russell, Russell Brand, Russell Brand in a movie. But for some reason, America saw him. Maybe, maybe he was a sort of B-list sort of celebrity. And when he sort of broke up with Katy Perry, he was recognized as an A-list, similar to like a, a Tupac, a Tupac and Biggie Smalls death, where they fell into into hip hop legendary. Although they were legends before, but they their legendary status solidified itself after their death. And that, in a sense, leaving Katy Perry, leaving the stardom, was the somewhat death of the uh, Russell Brand act that we yeah. sort of knew initially. Um, yeah. What was you going to say before you sort of go on? Uh, oh, no, I'm just... This is a great podcast. <laughs> this is a good episode. It's a, it's a, it's a really Am I talking too much? Am I talking too much? No. Or? I feel like, I'm I, felt like I was talking too much for a second. I think everyone gets that fear when they go into a podcast. They're like, because we're both kind of characters. So I think we're, we're, when, when, a sub, when a subject comes up, we can't help but just grasp onto them. Yeah. Um, man, this was a great episode. Do you want to talk about anything else? Or is it? Um, I just wanted to ask you what, what you've, what's the biggest thing you've done since I last saw you? What's the, the biggest. Um, change in the way you not view the world but the biggest the, just the biggest thing that's affected you biggest i know you've been doing stand-up biggest um, achievement biggest achievement was um this is this is my biggest achievement and i hold it with absolute gratitude even though to many it seems like a failure but it's 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 absolutely i hold it with such a magnitude that it it, it it was a savior sort of so i was when i started out stand up i was doing with some sort of situation with someone and it, every time it was like oh da, 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 sort of you know it was going as consistent and it, it just pissed me mm-hmm. off to the core and obviously being 19 and that being the highest rate of suicide among teenage boys did you know that teenage teenage boys uh, i didn't know it makes sense now that i mention it though yeah yeah Anything, well it's it's any, that i think it's that point where the it's sort of like not, not the hormones stop flowing um like, like the bus is sort of coming to an end the train tracks are like you know and now it's going. like either you're either you're succeeding or, or you see yourself as massively failing which i think i don't think anyone's succeeding or failing i think everyone's just as you were saying on that on that 19 is the age sorry it was 19 did i mention 16 i think it was 19 did i say 16 yeah yeah <laughs> i meant 19 i meant 19 and it's everyone's on that thing so no one's failing no one's failing or succeeding but go ahead i don't think, I don't think it's failing it's it's trying to figure out what you're gonna be and yeah. the fear of that unknown it's like it's like it's like Going into the Starship Enterprise and exploring the galaxy unknown, but on your own, without Spock, without, without Captain yeah. Kirk, you're just you're just driving the ship <laughs> alone. You're driving and the you, ship. You you might discover some things. You might discover that there's been a cross between Star Wars and Star Trek, and you discover a planet full of Ewoks. You know, and that fascinates the shit out of you, and that's sort of your purpose: researching the Ewoks. You know, it, it's just that vast—the fear of the unknown. I think that's what it was when you're 19. 
and alongside there's the a lot of pressure well, on males as well yeah it is massive pressure but um well, yeah. well, what's your opinion on that pressure well how do you view it is it a good thing or a bad thing or do we put it on I ourselves think, is it, i think we put it on ourselves and societally i it's think all pressures are i think uh, i think a lot of pressures are self self-inflicted i think mm-hmm. i put a lot of pressures on myself to be yeah. a certain way and especially growing up with with uh more of like a hard nut dad stuff like that you you tend to adopt that and that's why i think i've become more don't take shit because (laughs) anti-essex because i think i i um i think i've adopted some of his ways which i don't think is a bad thing i think people should have more of a backbone but i also i also don't want to become a grouch yeah you don't want to become a grinch sort of uh, yeah why you celebrating christmas um yeah Back I don't to want to the, steal my presents. <laughs> back to the achievements. So it was that age, and anything at uh, nineteen, anything can sort of affect me. It was late nineteen as well, so I'm just like coming into twenty and all. Ah. And uh, so throughout my stand up, and I was dealing with that situation. When I get the laugh, it was so, you know, so uh, uh, sort of healing to the situation. So I thought that I can get a laugh because maybe it was a self esteem issue. It, it had to be a self esteem issue because. I'm, I'm low self-esteem. Then the laugh gives you a massive boost of of euphoria and and adrenaline. Yeah. And then, but that it was slowly dragging onto that. And then, on the fifteenth of August, is that Results Day? I believe so. I think it must have been. I think it must have been some fifteenth Results Day for A levels. I did not get the grades I want, but at the same day. I had uh, I did get into a uni that I'm very happy about actually because it's not this less pressure than the uni that I would have gone to and I it's actually recognized as a science rather than an art which is some politics it's to certain unis it's really recognized as a as a science or, or a bachelor of arts so it's, it's sort of, so yeah. I got the bachelor of science whereas I would have gotten a bachelor of arts in the university of that but I got rejected because it wasn't my f- fault necessarily because one of the grades didn't register for Excel and that was my top grade so by the time results they came in, the grade wasn't there. And then by the time I legitimized the grade, clearing already had my course full because politics is so competitive. So that was bad. But on that day, I was performing at a well-known comedy club. Uh, do you know Mo Gilligan? I don't know Mo Gilligan. He's a bit, pretty big comic in the UK. He had his own mm-hmm. talk show. But he was, this is his club. Well, I think I do. I think Mo, Mo. Yeah. And, he, and he goes by Mo. Yeah, he's a stand-up, Mo Gilligan. He has a Netflix special. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that guy. So that's his club. That's his realm. He's, he's, he's that's his, his up the creek club. And a month before that, Dave Chappelle performed there. Who was my idol, and I actually have a poster of him by Columbia. Literally right here, right yeah, here, somewhere on top. And then Dave Chappelle, who was my idol, performed there a month ago. And this was an open mic night, and I had to like I was training for it for like two months, trying to get the bits up. And this would have been my 15 gig. I, this is just fake confidence because obviously I didn't have a solid five minute act. But I thought, fuck mm-hmm. it, let me just do it. I don't care. And then I go in, I get my act, and then I uh, results say I'm I'm annoyed and all that. And then I I uh, f- first performance up the creek, uh, a crowd of three hundred and fifteen people. <laughs> fuck it out. Oh, that's a big. That's a big say. That's a big um crowd. Big, the big crowd, crowd all see it sold out tickets. Everybody's young as fuck. Everybody's enjoying their time. Every comedian killed. 
uh, it, it, some people failed, obviously, and I was one of them. I say one of I say my first joke, which was killer, and then I see I see the most the most massive laugh ever. With like my opening joke got me the biggest laugh, and then suddenly because of the amount of euphoria and obviously I wasn't I hadn't fully sharpened the sword of the bits. I was like, basically the way of the Creek Blackout works is that you get two minutes without getting kicked out. And then three members of the, of the audience have, have, three, uh, have a card each. And they can, every time, if you get one, two, three, you're out. Oh, you know okay. I mean? So two minutes. So uh, within the first two minutes, uh, I get, uh, I'm doing well. And then the, the lights black out. And then uh, the, the, not blackout as in like the, the light, this is how they indicate you've been there for more than two minutes. The lights just turn on and off on the stage. And mm -hmm. then I'm like one second away from the punchline for the joke. I'm just explaining it. And then suddenly I get kicked out. But at the time I was so annoyed because I was so reliant on this day to fuel me because of the bullshit results day. But now a joke landed and it got a massive laugh in front of 315 yeah. people and that was my you should be proud of gig. it yeah and that was my 15th gig and considering the fact that 15 15th so before that i had five times 14 50 50 uh five times 14 uh, uh what, what's that 90 i think that five times 14 is 90 right yeah yeah yeah, yeah around yeah, again an hour and a half of experience and I managed to get one joke that fucking killed. And that, before that, the jokes before used to, worked before that, but just the fact that I managed to get one joke that killed within my, just an hour and a half of experience in stand-up, it just made my day. And that's probably my greatest achievement. And now I'm just trying to relive it with a consistent five-minute act. I was overconfident, and it's a great the diminisher of ego at that moment, but at the same time, it was just the most amazing laugh I've ever got in my life. So, yeah, so it refined the sword and also made you realize that you can kill yeah, it i can i can potentially kill it if i just work hard at it and write down and just develop the bit keep on sharpening that sword and write every day um yeah it's just something that i'm getting back into doing because obviously some gigs are open and, and so yeah that's yeah. my proudest moment even though it's like a bittersweet moment but it's like it's more of the journey than the objective you know <laughs> it is no, it is it's the uh i think that since I last left you, for some reason, so obviously getting into uni and everything was a great thing for me, happy mm -hmm. with it. But the thing that I remember the most, and the thing that got me the most euphoria, the actual mm -hmm. feeling, was doing a contemporary dance piece at my, oh, in my yeah, foundation. You mentioned year. that before. You mentioned something about contemporary dance when I met you last time. We used to meet each other between journeys. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, remember, yeah I remember that. And yeah, because I was. I was with my ex, wasn't I? Oh, yeah. I think Rebecca. The last time we met, I was with my ex. Um, and uh, it was a contemporary dance piece about a couple losing a child. And okay. we actually interviewed um, a couple as well who had lost a child and all the stuff, that sort of stuff and did research and, and tried to adopt that feeling. And, and the end result was amazing and I really enjoyed doing the dance and it was almost euphoric because we had as like you had we had um rehearsed for two months and had the um choreography down to a T and we the, the song we had picked was exactly the lyrics fit exactly to the 
experience you remember to have watching it and we finally did it um in front of the class and in front of tutors and things like that and we finished and i got it was like a standing ovation i just felt felt so incredible doing that um just getting that also came about and it didn't fall off how beautiful is that yeah yeah, I think that was the most. I think that was the most. Yeah, sort of euphoric moment I've had since since I since I spoke to you last or last we last met up because it was really impressive to me that I I'd never danced before in my life, but my tutor showed it to other classes and stuff like that because he was so impressed and they were like, "Are you sure these people haven't danced before?" Was um, it a solo act or was it you in a group? Yeah, I was with a girl. I was with a girl called Izzy. Um, Izzy uh-huh. Hazel. She went to the uni. She used to come in like. She went to the uni, she went to the uh, Havering Six form. She used to come in like skirts and stuff, boots. Me oh, um, oh, and my ex and all that, you used to sit. Yeah, Izzy, yeah. Izzy, you remember Izzy? Yeah, Izzy's cool. Yeah. I love Izzy. She was very cool. And and yeah, it was. there was parts where I had to like pick her up and there was parts where I had to like drag her around the floor mm. and stuff like that. Um, very intimate moments. But yeah, the, the dance in itself was incredible to do. Yeah, that that because I think the beauty of it was like, holy shit, this is something I don't know how to do, but I'm gonna put a full effort into it. Just for the and it was a topic as well that that I didn't understand for really yeah. because I've never had a child and I've never had enough love for any. Obviously, I love my family, but I've never had that sort of attachment to anything or anyone. And I sort of after the two months felt like I was in that situation and and the emotion of that of doing the dance and also feeling that pain of, of that um of going through that uh was was a was, was an experience yeah that, really that must have been powerful for you to succeed yeah. in something that you thought you were gonna fuck up <laughs> really <laughs> was yeah, but, yeah. Uh, and was it was it like an essential pass like did you have to get this pass in order to progress to the position you are in now or was it like oh i could just get like a mediocre uh, it was it was more proving it to myself because i quit mm. performance art at the beginning of sixth form because i was like this is shit and <laughs> then i came back around to it in foundation year and realized what performance art really is what i was doing was in the beginning of sixth form was uh, was expressionless compared to the how expressive the performance of dance is and i want to do it again i'm i, I it's like a drug <laughs> Yeah, the, the, me. The, 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 it's like it's like the the first girl ever gives you attention, and you're like, ah. "Who's this? Is this? I need to be with this person all the time." <laughs> that's how I felt about doing that dance. Yeah. Anyways, that that's cool, man. What about now? What about you? Are you building up for a crowning achievement? I mean, I saw the we saw the figure, which is beautiful. Um, hopefully, a, hopefully, yeah. I um I've just started really. I um, have done two induction lectures, uh, which were which were nothing to do with illustration. They were just induction. Um, I've met my tutors and everything. My roommates are incredible. I couldn't ask for better people to be around. Um, my or well, I've met so many people. Met so many people. So many friends I've made. Um, and the whole yeah, the whole um, the whole experience so far has been exactly what I expected. So, so foundation-wise, you're all set for something to explode. Is that what you're trying to say? For some, some yeah. spark to come in and then 
Well, yeah, it's hard to have a spark uh, at the moment, but I'm definitely, this is the best place for me to possibly be to create some sort of incredible, yeah. get some sort of incredible artistic talent or, or understand the world slightly more or make illustrations that are influential enough to impact people. And uh, let's say you've got an idea. How do you maintain it? Do you note it down? Do you just instantly find something to note it down? Or is it, are you one of the people who just save it in some sort of memory bank? I'm still the erratic Alfie who does it instantly without even thinking about how I'm going to do it or how it's going to move forward. I'm still the same person who does it with instinct. But I don't know, let's say you're in like, I don't know, a restaurant with your friends where it's not near the art studio at all. And then you got this, oh, fuck, I found the idea. Do you instantly just note it down on like some, the tissue paper? I carry around post-its. Yeah, that's pretty much. So you're like me, you just, because if you forget, you could potentially kill yourself. Yeah, if I if I don't create what I've just thought about, life's over for me, man. <laughs> it's so like, how many ideas have you lost? I've lost at least. I've oh, I, I big ideas. I think I lost. I remember losing one about three weeks ago because everyone was moving in and I was doing other things oh, and I started sitting in sitting in my room. And I, I thought of something and then someone spoke to me for a second. I was like, "Fuck you." <laughs> <laughs> that's the only fuck you that's allowed okay we allow that <laughs> that's a fuck you i can understand um mate sometimes i'm like i have to go through a whole passage through of weird thought processes i was like oh wait i was thinking about heinz ketchup before that well and then the thought came up <laughs> like i have to yeah. go through heinz ketchup there's canned sweet corn why would someone buy sp- uh, canned spaghetti why don't you just boil spaghetti and then suddenly oh wait there's the idea <laughs> Like why would go... someone why would someone eat sweet corn in why general would some... mm. why would someone eat sweet it's corn? gross it's, a... it's a disgusting sweet corn. sweet corn is great man i have memories of sweet <laughs> fuck corn. sweet corn what about the corn you have good like memories of sweet corn, corn. yeah well, roasted corn. oh i love a corn on the cob yeah well, what's the difference i don't know <laughs> No, it's canned and it's watery why is it so watery well but you can put it in like tuna sandwiches i hate tuna Pizza. Sorry don't to be so like, controversial to all the listeners. Don't you like? Don't you like corn on pizza? That that's shit. Can get out of my life. Okay, so you're an anti-corn. All right, I think we. I'm an anti-pineapple man. Ah, pineapple can kill itself. Pineapple can can kill itself. Don't put sweet things on pizza. I went no. to someone's house last night and they had barbecue on their pizza instead of tomato, and I was like, you have ruined everything that's sacred to me. <laughs> oh, Anyways, how was, how was, I'm going to get into this because do you want to speak about it? The breakup situation? How was, how was, how was dealing with that? I can was go it through bad? it. I can go through it um, very briefly. like linear. Yeah, briefly. Yeah. So I can say that like um, it was mutual. And oh, okay. uh, I'm, I'm happy I'm very happy. I'm very content. I'm I'm the happiest I've been in a very long time. Um, I think it was I think it was one of these things of I lo- I I wasn't really myself in the end during the relationship. So I eventually thought to myself, I this needs to stop because I I was losing myself to the other person and becoming the other person. Um, and and she she was happy to get out of it as well. So it was more of a case Very, of 
the battery sort of faded away. Not yes. Yeah. So that's that's the best yeah. breakup. That's the best breakup. Not gonna lie. That it was to be honest. Yeah, I had I had the. I'm so lucky because I had the best breakup ever. <laughs> <laughs> it was the best breakup ever. Yeah. Uh, it was right. very. It was a very um, bittersweet breakup. And that's good to hear. Anyways, Alfie, uh, you have been a tremendous guest. Uh, I'm afraid we have to stop because there's no timer for the recording, so, but I believe it's been uh, around two hours or more. I was going to say this has been a long podcast. I was wondering when it was going to finish because people are going to get sick of this. Oh, sick no, of my voice. It's, it's okay. Don't worry. They'll enjoy it. Um, bye-bye. Uh, fucking, uh, we're going to end this. This has been uh, Yusuf Musa and the IMO podcast. I'm your host, and today was your wonderful guest, Alfie Webb. Uh, do you have any well, thank you for listening to my rambles oh no it's, 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 yeah, this is all rambles anyway so it's a part it, it's great we ramble and talk about roadkill and shit <laughs> and, and madmen uh, who think that I think that, that uh, eating humans is acceptable <laughs> anyways uh, you got any last words any Instagram shout outs anything you wanna you wanna give away my final word is um don't put pineapple on pizza because you are ruining the Italians. And I would say, if anything, very disrespectful. And my final word is to the person who decided that giving SpongeBob a pineapple house was a great idea. Uh, I thoroughly implore you to kill yourself. This has been the 16th episode or 17th, I don't know, whatever of the IMO podcast and love you all. Bye-bye. Kisses and hugs and bye-bye.